Welcome to America's Top Rebbitsons. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Rebbitsons YouTube page or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you're the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I am honored to have on today's show Rebbitson Manya Lazaroff. Rebbitson Manya is the co-director of the Ror Harbad Jewish Center at Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Um, okay, so first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I am a, thank God, mother of seven. Um, and a shlucha. And together with my husband, we moved to the very unique location of College Station, Texas. Um, I'd say most people, when you say you live in Texas, they're like, oh, Dallas. And I'm like, no, no, Houston, no. <laughs> and Antonio, no. Where? I'm like, well, we're kind of centrally isolated. So that means the closest Jewish community or mikvah or child with a yarmulke and tzitzis is 100 miles away. Wow. And Houston. Um, so that being said, we moved here 16 years ago to really see what we can do to infuse the young, um, college students with a sense of identity and Judaism and be there for them. And it has been a wild and wonderful ride so far. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah, no, I think it's amazing. I love, I love that you're in the unique position to be on a college campus because, I mean, Jewish kids from all over the United States and even all over the world, I'm sure, come to Texas A&M University. I mean, it's a great school and they're far from home. They're not with their families for, for Shabbos. They're not with their families for the holidays. And some of them don't even keep Shabbos for the holidays. So um, presence is amazing. Yeah, no, I, it, I would say that it's it's um, really a privilege and a pleasure to be part of so many young people, their Jewish journey, because at the end of the day, each of them come with their own inherent connection and identity to Torah and their own inherent relationship with their neshama and who they are and who they are for the Jewish nation, right? They're like, they're the continuity. They're, they're really significant. And we get to interact with them and we get to be part of their journey. And for every student that looks different, right? So for one student, that just means, I remember a student saying, I can now proudly walk on campus with a high necklace where I couldn't five, four years ago. That's big. For another, right. That's huge. And for another student who's, I remember that same kid said, I never told anyone I was Jewish. They didn't feel comfortable in their own skin um, and just being in an environment that was supportive and nurturing. Um, and I will say that for another kid, that may mean they're going to find their spouse at Chabad. We've had quite a few couples who are now building beautiful Jewish homes wow. um, at around the Shabbos table. So um, someone said, what do you put in that chicken soup? <laughs> um, and I think it's really the model is following Lubavitch Rebbe's model is being there for a fellow Jew with no judgment, with no like preconceived notion, with no, there's no list of like, I always tell students, it's not like we're an organization and these are our 10 programs you can partake in. It's like, we're here, you're here. What does that look like? And for every student, that engagement level is going to be different based on their background, based on their comfort level, based on their own whatever, past traumas, triggers, comfort level, everyone's coming in with a different story. Um, and we have been really blessed to be part of a lot of tremendous and miraculous um, young people. And at the end of the day, I always tell them, we're relying on you. The Jewish nation is relying on you. And I, well, first I say joke, no pressure, but actually, yes, pressure. We're relying on you to build strong, beautiful Jewish homes. And um, they're awesome. I love them. They're fun and inquisitive and curious. And uh, now I will say raising kids on a college campus, that's a different one, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. Yes, yes. Well, this is, I mean, it, and it all blends in. I mean, these are older kids that you're dealing with. Today, we're going to talk about kids who actually live at home with you, because we're going to be talking about really a topic that many parents can relate to. And it's, the topic is instilling Jewish values in our children. And now we are living in an upside down world today. Things that are, were considered immoral years ago are now considered completely normal. And our kids are receiving messages from the outside world that are not in line with our traditional Jewish values. And if they follow down that path, they could, God forbid, be led away from Judaism altogether. And obviously, we don't want that to ever happen. So in order to help our children strengthen their connection to Judaism and to their Jewish her heritage, I want to begin by talking about Jewish values. So can you please talk to us about why Jewish values are so important? And also, can you please okay. share with us some of the core Jewish values? So I love that you touched upon this because I look at this from many, many different perspectives, right? Um, 
I think for we can come up with an easy list of like Jewish values. Oh, integrity and honesty and whatever. We can come up with a from today till tomorrow. There's no shortage of lists of like if I want to I had a crystal ball or if I had a magic wand and I want to like what values can I impart to my child so they can go forth in the world as a strong, proud Jew. We can come up with a laundry list that's very long. But I would love to do is kind of zoom out a bit for a second because I feel like that's almost like the easy way out. I really want to understand this process differently. Uh, what I want to do together, hopefully, this is obviously an honor and a privilege to be sitting here with you and be sharing just some of our experiences because thank God um, the journey of parenting, our oldest is 22, turning 23 shortly, and our youngest is um, 18 months. So we've, we have the span of like very different ages, very different stages, and as I'm sure you know, you know, we change and we shift and we evolve and thank God our kids have truly been the greatest teacher. And I feel like if you're open and you have a drop of like awareness of the gift of this process, then really I, I, my husband and I, we always joke, we're like the kids raised us. Like at the end of the day, like, no, so often, like there's things that you think their values and they're important and like, but can I, can I follow through? Can I keep them? Can I, and your kids will let you know very quickly we're exactly where you're holding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not a comfortable mirror always, but it's a really, if you're open, yes. it's a lot of growth. So I want to kind of zoom out for a second and under, like really look a little bit broader before we jump into the values. So I think really it starts with our mindset. Yes. Because the truth is the mindset, what's the mindset of raising Yiddish Kindlach, raising these infinite, godly, divine pieces of Hashem, that are in this world. I remember when we, I think I'm pregnant with our seven, thank God. And we had triplets. Wow. And so we have Baruch Hashem, like I said, seven kids and our 13 year olds are triplets. And after that, we weren't blessed with children for about 12 years. So when we got pregnant with um, our 18 month old, people were like, like, did you just change your mind? Did you like, you know, oopsies, like, I guess everyone kind of assumed, oh, they had triplets, so they're done, right? That's how people think. Um, and I said, no, like, so I, I saw it right away. I was like, you know what, let's, let's discuss this. And I said to them, the perspective, let's go into the perspective of what it means to bring a Jewish child into the world. What's Judaism's perspective on bringing a neshama into the world? Yes. And it's not about like, well, did we choose to stop? Did we want to, you know, Hashem chose for a few years that that wasn't part of the plan. And then he changed his mind very, very graciously. Um, so I always love to really tackle this from a different angle. Like, let's first understand that we truly see parents as the third partner in creation. There's this infinite godly divine soul that only Hashem knows the right time for that neshama to come into the world. And Hashem gave me and my husband the privilege, the honor. And it's really an awesome mindset that Hashem gave me this ability to bring this soul into the world and partner with him in shepherding this soul from point A to point B. And what, and I think really, I always kind of heard, yeah, you know, you're partner with Hashem in creation. And it's like kind of cliche and you hear it. And like, but then I remember when I was driving to the hospital, when my triplets were a week old and I was going there for Rosh Hashanah and our city had like three NICU beds. So it was like, I'm like, okay, we can't have them here. And my doctor's like, oh, y'all be my first set of triplets. And I'm like, no, I will not. Um, so we went to a hospital in a bigger city in Houston with a lot of family support. And I'll, I, I don't think I'll forget driving to the, I don't, as long as I live, I think I'll feel this feeling driving to the hospital of Rosh Hashanah. And here I have these one week old triplets that I'm going to be in the hospital for so I can take care of them. And my husband had the older three, hundred miles away for Rosh Hashanah in, in college station in our city. So he can take care of the students. It was like a divide and conquer moment. And I remember feeling like I told my husband, I said like, Whoa, three souls, like God entrusted us last year, Rosh Hashanah Hashem decided we were going to be gifted and entrusted with three new souls. Yes. three new humans, three new infinite potentials that who knows what they're going to do in the world. They have so much light because they are godly and divine and infinite. And they have so much light to give the world. And obviously they're here. So the world needs them. Yeah. Whoa. And I remember that's when I kind of had this like real awesome humbling shift where it's like really puts you in your place. And so I think that's the standard starting point is how do I view bringing my role as a parent 
how do I view my role as partnering with Hashem and bringing this neshama into the world? And how do I then, with that mindset, see my child as this infinite potential? As this, like, because we all know, anyone who's parented for more than five seconds knows that it's a rough ride. Kids will push it. They'll push every value they can. They'll push every limit they can. I remember once a child psychologist said, a child's job is to push the limits. An adult's job is not to let them. So how do I view that now that my vantage point is looking at, you know, putting on this lens of seeing this child as godly infinite potential, really, as the altar of says in Tanya, literally, infinite. So if that's true about every soul that exists, it has to be true about my child. Right. And then I, and, and then once we have that lens, then I can see what my role is and what my responsibility is. And it kind of, I think, puts us in our place in a very healthy way. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. And I don't think it means we shirk responsibility, but now we're like, whoa, this is big. Um, and um, this is not like to infuse more parental guilt into the thing. I think it's like this whole like mommy guilt thing, like got to do away with it. There's a better MO. There's a, you know, like there's a better way to operate and there's guilt is never a healthy vantage point, even though I know for us as Jews, this is like very comfortable and very familiar. It's like, oh, we know this one Jewish guilt. We like there's so many jokes about it, right? There's a reason there's so many jokes about it, but I do think we need a shift. And I do think once I can see that, that it's not just, this is my kid. This, what is my kid doing? My kid is this, my kid is that. And a lot of us, sometimes it's how we're trying to identify ourselves. Oh, I'm an allergy mom. I'm a, oh, my kid has this. And, and sometimes it's for our own identity that we need to check in with ourselves. Like, kind of zoom out a second, take a step back. This is an infinite godly divine soul with infinite potential. And same thing within that comes that every human born, right? Every, for sure, we know the altar describes in Tanya is going to have a push and a pull, is going to have an internal struggle. So now that I understand that, that that internal struggle that my child is going to experience through life is absolutely a part of how they're hardwired and their soul's journey, then I can exhale for a second. <laughs> then I can say, okay, now, then, then we can get to values. And another lens that I really like to check in with myself and myself, my husband, I'm saying myself, but we thank God are very blessed to really parent together because guess what? When you live in the middle of nowhere, no one else is raising your kids. There's no school system that you could like pretend is taking care of their chinuch. You're it, right? And yes, we're blessed that there's a Jewish online school. We're blessed that, you know, that is a gift, but anyone who hung out during COVID had their kids online know it's not perfect. Yes. And it's not easy also. Yes. It has its challenges, but I look at now, you know, the grown children, thank God, and two of them are married, um, just recently got married. And I see like the blessing of having had no choice but to be involved in their chinuch in a very proactive way, not just me, but me and my spouse. Right. So I feel like it's a gift. Um, it's a challenge, but every challenge has, you know, good things. So the second thing and we're going to get to values, I promise. This is yeah, what it's about. Right? Great. <laughs> um, but the second thing I really like to check in with ours, and it's not just me, it's myself, my spouse, is what is my relationship with this person? Not my kid. Because I can objectively, objectively look at my relationship with other people and I could say, okay, where is the room to improve? Where is this? But somehow when it comes to my kid, since I feel like it's a reflection of me, then their, their, their struggles are like, oh my gosh, panic. We react with a lot of, we bring a lot of extra emotional baggage of our own to their struggles, which are, again, divinely ordained and normal and part of life. And we we bring ourselves to the table almost a little bit too much. So if I zoom out and say, hey, what is my relationship with this human being, with who they are? And it's not just my kid that I'm identifying as, you know, this. it's like, no, this is a godly divine soul. And what's my relationship with it? And can I put my finger on the pulse? And I have to tell you, I've had these conversations with my own kids. How do you think our relationship is going? What wow. do you think we can do to change it? What's frustrating you? And you know what? When we empower them to also think of the relationship through that lens, wow, it's a game changer. And it's not about not a respectful boundaries. I don't think so. I don't think it's like, oh my gosh, I need to be best friends with my kid. Um, you know, I remember when the kids are younger, they're like, I'm not your friend. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. We're not actually supposed to be friends. I'm actually your parent. Right. Um, and, and that's cool. I'm very comfortable with that. Right. 
but then it's shifting to see like really like, where is this? What's my finger on the pulse? So when I see a kid who's really struggling with whether it's a value or a behavior, instead of getting my own defenses and my own emotions embroiled because it's my child and they're a reflection of me and what are people, other people going to think the rabbi's son is like, no, 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 no. Zoom out, breathe, pause, check in with yourself. And sometimes that child just needs a little extra time, a little extra attention. I remember having one of my kids who just honestly was acting pretty obnoxious. Um, I mean, they're going to do that. I have obnoxious days. Um, I don't know you very well, but I can imagine you have days where we're less than perfect. Right. And so I think like just checking with a kid, you know, like, Hey, what's going on? Like, and I remember one of my kids saying, I just need more of you. I just need more. of you." And I'm like, how cool that you can express that. You understand that let's work on that. Or another kid sitting saying, my, you know, I feel like there's four things that are not working about my morning that really leave me starting my day stressed. And we sit down, we have a conversation about it. What are the four things that are bothering you? And what are, how can we work around that? And what's realistic? What's not realistic? What can we try? What can't we try? And then appreciate the fact that what this child is turning to me and this child knows that they're going to be met with um, someone who's on their team. So, and that's, I guess the third thing is if our children could understand there's nothing more in life that I want to do to help you be the best you. Now, that doesn't mean the best you the way I think you should be. And it doesn't be the best you the way, I don't know, like an, an honors or the best at sports, debating. Like, I'm not, I'm not talking about all those, like, I would say superficial benchmarks that society likes to tell us are signs of success in our children. I'm talking about who that child is with their character traits, with their God-given divinely, you know, divine fingerprint. And I think this is something that I learned again from the process of having triplets. My older three, this is the youngest, this is the middle, this is the middle child. I read to this one more, read to this one. all sorts of rationalizations and understandings and really self-imposed, like, you know, your own mind garbage, I'm gonna say, whatever you wanna call it, whatever the narrative in your head. And I remember when I had three babies born, the exact, I mean, they're a minute apart, right? Everything in the environment was exactly the same, the same older siblings, meaning the nurture was the same. Right. Right. And the way they felt, they emoted, they they processed, they understood, they looked at the world was completely different. And it was so humbling to again bring me back to that, like, this is a piece of the God of infinity that I'm raising with its own path and its own story and its own trajectory and its own character traits that are sometimes easier and sometimes more challenging. So that has really shifted the way I see instilling values. Now we're going to get to values because I still think they're important, but I'm going to pause for a second. Is there anything you want to jump in? Because I know I just kind of took a little bit of a different approach over here for a second. No, but that's okay. But you, you, what you did is you clarified. You clarified the role of a parent, and you gave an interesting perspective on how to look at raising your children, which I think is very, very valuable. You know, parenting. There's, there's so much information out there. There's so many different ways to look at it. There's so, so many different approaches. So I really liked yours because it's fresh. And I'm going to tell you why. Like, what I my takeaway from that. You know, um, like I love that you stress that. Your, your kids are who they are, not necessarily who you want them to be. Like you probably, you know, maybe before you had kids, you had like a box. My children are going to be this, 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 and this. And then the children came and they were like anything but this, 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 and this, you know, because they were their own kids. And it's from Hashem. It's from God, the way that they are, their characteristic traits, their personality, their likes, their dislikes, their talents, their strengths, their abilities, you know, it's God-given to them from Hashem and you're parenting them, like you said, to be the best person that they are, not necessarily to be the best person that you want them to be so that they can fit into your little box. And that's, I think it's a key point. Yeah, it's, I think it's a little bit different, but I do think it's also somewhat freeing because I remember with my first three, I had this like vision of like, like you said, like this perfect family or perfect parenting techniques. And you read all these books and listen to everything. I, like, you know, there's so much information out there. Like, I'm like, take everything with a grain of salt, you know, like be present in your life. Yeah. Um, zoom into yourself, to your spouse, to your own dynamics, to your children. That's probably more valuable. Um, but but I would say I remember once reading an article years ago, and I remember Dr. Hannah Silverstein, she's a Robinson at Cornell. I don't remember the whole article at all and what context it was, but I remember she had one line that really resonated, and I've repeated it multiple times, so obviously it really stuck. 
she said that every stage in a child's life has a developmental goal, right? Like babyhood is about attachment and toddlerhood is exploration and childhood is identity and teenagehood is about independence. And they're normal. They're just normal developmental stages across the spectrum. You don't expect, you know, a 16 year old to be teething and, 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 and throwing it. I mean, 16 year olds cook their attention, so forget it, but you know, <laughs> uh, biting. Okay. Um, if, and when it falls in the developmental norm, it's, it's normative and it's comfortable and we can embrace it and we can work with it. Right. And then she said something was, I think really powerful. She said in this article, she said, um, and adulthood has its developmental goal too. Adulthood's about getting over your childhood. And I thought to myself, wow, wow. I'm not going to be the perfect parent. As a matter of fact, people are like, don't you want your kids to be, don't like, how do I like work on being the perfect parent? I'm like, you don't. So, well, how do I make sure my children are happy? I'm like, happiness, who says happiness is the goal for my children? They're like, what? You don't just want your kids to be happy? I'm like, no. <laughs> I want my kid to know why they're here. I want my kids to have a strong identity as a link in the chain of the Jewish people from Sarah and Rivka and Rachel and Leah and Avram and Moshe and Esther and all the rep them. I want them to know who they are. I want them to. So this is a value. What is my identity? My identity is I am a godly, divine human being who is Jewish, who the world needs. And I am I am here for a reason. I'm here to partner with Hashem in making the world a better place. I'm here to look inside and find that light that I have, that infinite potential, and shine it outward. And so then when I can do that, I can say, okay, okay. So it's not about like which I'd say like, you know, value I'm going to shove down their throat. Okay. It's, it's shifting the game completely. Okay. Now with that, is going to come frustration. Yes, and yes. with that is going to become failure because we all fail and it's part of the human experience. And my son in his kindergarten class years, he's married. So it was a while ago, had his teacher had a sign. Have you failed today? If not, why not? Interesting. Yeah. And I think that is a key because this is a value I want to instill my child. So really this is Number one, who am I? I matter and the world needs me. The second thing is failure because we tend to see failure as something we just want to get rid of or deal with or like suppress or, you know, oh my gosh, this kid's acting up and I need to figure out what's going on so I can just like get the family back on track. Stop. Failure is literally the neon sign saying, this is where I need help. And one of the nicer parts that happened during COVID was my husband and I started on Shabbat morning learning together, which was so nice. It, you know, it was like, always oh, something we wanted to do. We didn't get to it. And I'll never forget. It was in one of the teachings of the Balhatanya, the altar of where he ex expounded on the concept of a chisaron. And a chisaron, literally, we would normally say is, oh, that's a character flaw, right? Oh, this person, that's their chisaron. That's their, like, their, this is something they're struggling with. And the altar really shifts the mindset. And this is like pre-modern day psychology and all the other like stuff that's out there, right? Um, and the altar expounds to say that the word chaser means missing. Okay. Something's missing. And the altar goes on to explain that there's an, an unmet need. So if I can look at my child where they're failing, and instead of getting my emotions caught into it, getting really defensive, getting ready, I could say, okay, this is where this child is failing. It means there's something unmet there that I need to deal with. And when I can see things that way, and I can react to failure that way, then my child can start doing that to themselves and to the world around them. And then it becomes a value of theirs. So again, when I see my child as infinite potential, and I see that they're created exactly the way Hashem wants them. Well, guess what happens? Now that value is instilled in the child. I'm here for a reason. I have infinite potential. The world needs me. Same with failure. If I can see the failure within myself and I teach them how to navigate that, right? Like take responsibility, look inward, um, reflect on it. Um, and there are different methods to do that, right? Like and for every kid, it's going to look a little different. So um, we also have to check in with that. So for me personally, um, one of the methods that have really, really worked with my husband and myself and in our parenting and our children 
has really been obviously try not to highlight the failure because that doesn't help, right? Like, hey, look, this is where you're, this is where you're, you messed up. This is where you, no one wants like, right? No one wants to hear that. Ourselves included. We know. So if I, again, trust that my child's here for a reason and everything that's part of their story is part of the story, then I could see their failure as part of that journey as well. And I think often as parents, we kind of jump in to solve it instead of like zooming out and saying, okay, how can I shift what's going on here? And one of the methods we've used is really kind of not in the moment reacting because in the moment when we react, then we all know our defenses are up. And once our defenses are up, we're not, we're not open. We're not receptive. We're not learning, right? If you're having an argument with your spouse or with someone, you're just defensive. We're not hearing each other out, right? Like you ever had that experience where you're like, we're not actually, we're just going in circles. So why do I do, I don't want that dynamic with my child, with myself, with my family, right? So we've used a lot of times, sometimes bedtime or a nice quiet moment with a kid or, you know, um, a relaxing thing. Say, Hey, like, I remember one of my conversations at bedtime with one of my kids, so what do you think happened today? And this kid was uncharacteristically like verb- aggressive to their siblings. And I remember, I remember the kid said, well, I got really mad at them. And I'm like, well, what happened? Well, they did blah, 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 blah. I said, wow, what would have happened if you didn't get really mad? And the kid like pauses and thinks, and suddenly the pa- now I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting the kid on the defensive. The kid is able to be really reflective and the kid says, oh, well, if I didn't do that, then they wouldn't have reacted and I wouldn't have gotten aggressive, right? So the kid's able to start seeing the pattern in the cycle. And I said, isn't it interesting that when I first asked you, you kind of shifted all on them. Right. Right. Like, and the kid looks at me like, huh, I didn't take responsibility. And then he looks at me, he's a little, he says, the eight Sahara is so tricky. I said, yeah, you're right. But what's that doing? That's teaching the child. You're going to fail. And that's okay. It's part of it. It means this is where I need to look inward and work on myself. But how do I view that failure? Can I reflect on that failure? Can I own that failure? And then you turn the question to the child and say, so what can we do about this? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is your, and then you say, I'm your parent. I'm here to help you through this. I recall one of my kids going through a very challenging phase where they were just butting heads with everyone and we were trying to help them through it. And I remember the child having this kind of like, no one gets me, no one understands me, you know, like one of those moments. And I remember saying to the kid, you know, you're right later. I'm like, you're right, no one gets you because sometimes we don't get ourselves. I'm still learning about myself all the time. That's life. And it's okay to feel misunderstood. And then I went to a different perspective and I said, you may feel like me and Tati don't get it. And that's okay. Sometimes we don't, cause we're not inside your mind in your heart. We don't, you're right. No one reads your mind, but Hashem gave us you. You are the best child for us and we are the best parents for you. And that doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. And it doesn't mean we're going to do things perfectly. We're going to, we're going to, we're human. And I remember saying, if Hashem wanted you to be raised by perfection, guess what? He wouldn't have given us the job. He would have given angels the job because they don't mess up. They do exactly what they're told. But Hashem chose us, your neshama, to go through the journey of life with us right? and us for you. And I remember shifting and I said, and this can go in very different directions. We like you too much as a person and we value our relationship with you too much to allow this dynamic, this clashing of heads to go on. So here's the deal. We're trying to help you through this character flaw, this challenge that you have that Hashem gave you. It's part of your personality. And every single challenge or personality character flaw that we have is neutral. It's inherently neutral. The question is, what do you do about it? And how do we learn how to channel it? I remember with this kid, It was a lot of stubbornness. And I said, when you learn how to use that, it's going to be fuel to take you so far in life. And I said to the child, I said, look at the world around you. You meet many adults. Some of them have never learned how to channel that character trait in the right way. We want to help you. You could fight us. And I guess probably we'll give in because we like you too much to fight with you all the time. But if you're a child in our house for maybe 18 years, 20 years, you're going to be an adult for another hundred. We're actually working harder to help you learn how to channel this for the next hundred years of success. And you know what happened? What? 
shift. The child stopped fighting. The child, so we are on your team. We don't, we're not threatened by this character challenge or flaw of yours. We're here to help you learn how to understand it and how to use it and as fuel to go so far. So I truly believe that it's a process. It's not comfortable. It, it requires extra time, extra mindset, extra dedication, a lot of patience. Honestly, sometimes a nice glass of wine, red wine. <laughs> like, I'm like, someone's like, what's your parenting trick for triplets? I'm like, wine, chocolate, and a good babysitter. Like, oh, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, no, I'm kind of serious. Like, <laughs> it's okay. You know, it's support where we need it. Um, but again, I'm now teaching my child the value of failure, of self-reflection, of owning their responsibility, of un understanding their inner world from a deeper perspective and a deeper place. Because when they can do that, now I'm turning into the world someone who is aligned, who feels co more comfortable in their own skin. So again, I can give you a list of values, but we can also try to see how I can help the child reflect inward and understand the world. And not, you know, so many of our young people, they're struggling with identity, with self-worth, with value. With, I mean, this is all over the world, right? And for sure in America, our college campuses, the rates of depression and anxiety. I mean, we don't have, we, the stats are out there and they're pretty dismal. Well, you know what? If I don't know that I'm here for a reason and the world needs me and that the things that I'm struggling with are part of my journey and that failure, there's room to fail and that I can own that and I can reflect on that and I can grow from it. Yeah, that's a pretty depressing reality. That's a pretty depressing reality. So yeah. now I'm instilling these values. It's, you know, it's, it's incredible, like, because it's such a shift on the the perspective, on the way that you look at the values, because people look at challenges like, oh, my God, how am I going to help this kid? Do I have to bring him to therapy? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? You know, so it's just it's amazing how you look at it because you look at it as a positive. Like you look at it, a child's challenges from positive instead of a negative. <laughs> I think that that's what Hasidus has taught me. That's what the Lubavitcher Rebbe has taught me. There's a very, I've told this story over many times, but the first African-American woman, 1969, Shirley Chisholm gets into Congress and she's from Brooklyn and she wants to go help people who need help. And what happens, the, you know, whatever, people in Congress try to put her in her place and they make her in charge of the agriculture department. You heard the story? I think so, but I love and, it. So and, and she was really down because here she wants to like actually make a difference in the inner city. And they're like, here, go deal with the farmers and the trees. Like, have fun. And the New York Post had a song, like a, a a title saying, like, does a tree even grow in Brooklyn? It was like making fun of her. And she was really down. And the, the Rebbe, she got called in for a meeting with the Rebbe. And she's like, okay, what's this? You know, Hasidic Rabbi going to tell me, right? And she sits in on the meeting and the Rebbe says, I heard you're upset. And she's like, no, 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 like, I'm more than upset. I'm destroyed. Like, here I am, like, trailblazer. One. And the Rebbe said, just like, you're here for a reason. And when you get to Congress, keep in mind that there are mothers, you know, mothers in Brooklyn who don't have food, there's farmers who have excess, find a solution. Like, and make a very long story short, she meets Senator Bob Dole on the first day from the Midwest. He was able to help her. She actually creates what we now know as WIC. And at her retirement, she says the fact that mothers in Brooklyn have food to feed their babies, thanks to her, a, a rabbi who had a vision. So I think it's all of, it's, yes, it requires some like shifts in our mindset, but I think they're game changers in, 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 in for our children, for ourselves. You know, like it's just a game changer. It's a totally different way of looking at this journey. And then I can also like breathe. Like I don't have to solve this kid's issue today. And you like, you mentioned therapy. I'm a big fan. If like a kid needs a little skills through a therapist, I had one of my kids say to me like, listen, I'm really struggling with this dynamic. And I like, feel like we talk about it, but I feel like I need skills. Maybe there's someone I should speak to. I'm like, that's perfect. That's what therapy is for. Like, concrete, tangible skills that you need to like work through and hear from an objective person. And then I guess this is another value is I'm not there to raise these godly divine souls on my own. I have a spouse and they, he brings what, you know, his perspective to the table. I think there's this kind of recurring undercurrent, like soundbite of like, men and fathers are like sometimes they disturb the bedtime and they disturb the process like no no there's a reason this is my children's father <laughs> this is my partner this is this is the father of my children for a reason and he brings his lens and his perspective to the table which is of tremendous value um and so it's it's just a, a like when I can see things 
through that lens. And I could see that there's other people, there's teachers, there's school, there's different mentors, there's friends. And I have to say, like, I encourage my kids to find a mentor that's not me. Yeah. I'm not threatened by it. I want them to, you know, one of the, the Rebbe's very passionate um, requests where his chassidim would get him a shpia and he would cite like Avot, ethics of our fathers, like like get yourself a mentor, right? And, and, and the Rebbe actually was pretty passionate about it. There's a lot of talks about it. The idea of being an objective perspective and an opinion and someone else's voice. And, and, and as long as your kid is in a centered place where they know that that relationship's there, it's not a threat. It's great. Or a kid comes up with a thing like, I'm not sure about this. I'm like, yeah, let's ask a ref together. Like, I want my kid to know that they can turn to others to get clarity. Or you know what? It's a really good question. I have no clue. Now you gave me an opportunity to explore something new together. So again, that's another one, another value. Right. That's another value. And you know, it's so funny because I love the way that you bring up all these real life practical values as opposed to like you were saying in the, in the, in the beginning, you know, uh, be honest, don't steal, don't lie. I, I mean, I, yes, for sure those are values too. Like I don't want to take away from that. But these are also, this is a different perspective altogether on values. You know, it's a different presentation of it. And they're very real life and they're very practical. And I just love the way that, you know, it's not about blaming the mothers. It's not all the mother's fault. And like you said before, we tend to feel guilty. There's no reason to feel guilty if you take a different perspective that your kid was given both their strengths and their challenges from God, but for a purpose, you know, you can take your child's challenges, you can take your child's weaknesses, you know, where they lack, and you can address them. And even the way, the way that you address them so that they don't feel down on yeah. themselves, so they don't have low self-esteem, just even the way that you approach that can help them take that into their lives because they're going yeah. to have so many other challenges, you know, and you don't want them to get stuck on like low self-esteem from another challenge that they have when they're adult. So it's Listen, they're got, and that's also like, I remember once when my kids come in, this siblings drive me crazy and they really challenge me this year. And I'm like, you know, I just remember saying, you know, you're hundred percent right. And I'm going to pay more attention to this dynamic, but just keep in mind that Hashem's giving you an opportunity because you're going to meet a lot of annoying people in life. And right now you're learning how to navigate annoying people. Like your sibling is not a mistake. And so this was another one is really infusing in our children. And you touched upon this because this, I think like we've, there are certain falsities that we've come to like idolize as like truths, like self-esteem and self-worth and like, you know, a, a, you know, accomplishing and achieving and, and, and I feel like those have, and happiness, and th they haven't helped us. They've not, they were a more depressed, insecure generation than we've been in years. So clearly that whole like track of like, everyone gets an award and like, it has not helped. Like it just has not helped. Um, and that's something probably I see a lot, you know, cause I think we're front row seated society. Like we have a front row seat at all the, whatever's going on because you're in an American college campus. And I do want to address how you inculcate your children um, with a sense of like clarity and we'll get to that shortly. So make sure I circle back to that because I think it's a really important piece of the puzzle. And I don't think it's limited to being raised in college station, Texas at a Shabbos table with, you know, 75 college students. I think it's like, it's, we're, we're going to, we, we all need to have that tool within our toolbox. Um, but I think that we've come to idolize these as ideals. And I think when we shift and go back to like the core Jewish, core Jewish values of what a soul comes into the world and what its purpose is and what it's meant to be and how we're partners with Hashem in creation and bringing light into the world and perfecting the world, it's different. And I'll never forget, it was, um, it was the middle of, it was kind of the beginning of COVID where like suddenly everyone, everything shut down and we're like, okay, most of our students are out of town for the first like few months. So we'll do Seder kits to go for the locals. And we like planned on making, I think, 35 Seder kits. And that was like a lot because there was only 20 students in town, 25 students in town and like maybe 10 adults in the community. Turns out we get 67 orders. There's a local prison that needed things. We couldn't have any chef, any help, cleaning help. It was me, my husband and our children. And it was a lot. Every piece of lettuce had to like be individually wrapped with masks and gloves. And so it was like April, like it was pretty, we, the world was still, you know, unsure of everything and everything had to be individually wrapped and labeled and instructions. And I remember through this like frustration of day three of doing this, I remember one of my kids, I think at that point was like 11. And I'm like, I hate this. Like it was a tantrum, right? This is not fair. Does anyone realize how hard we're working? Do, does anyone real, like, do they even appreciate it? Will they even have a Seder? They probably use this for lunch on Tuesday. Like, why do we, like, our whole family has to work so hard, blah, 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 blah. And I remember I was, like, as a mother, I was, like, ready to jump in. But again, sometimes pausing and waiting and reflecting and 
a little breathing. And I remember one of my children, older child, jumped in and said, you know, you're right. That's not fair. And you're right. Um, people don't realize how hard we're working. And you may even be right that it won't be used for a Seder. It's going to be used for like Tuesday lunch. And then the child looked at his younger sister and said, but isn't it good in life to be a giver? Wouldn't you rather go through life as a giver? Right. And I thought to myself, wow, I didn't like that was, it was better coming from her brother, first of all, like it didn't have to be for me. For sure. Right. And it was also like, he got it. And you know what? She let go. She got back to work. The music went louder. She, she, she got that. You know what? It wasn't fair and it wasn't fun and it was annoying. And that's okay. It's, I think sometimes we try to save our kids from all these like negative experiences instead of embracing the fact that all the experiences are on, like all the emotions and the experiences are on a spectrum of emotions and experiences that we're, that we're meant to experience. They're part of our story. And I will never forget. I once got a call from a friend a fellow uh, shlucha. I just, don't you feel guilty? Don't you feel terrible the way your kids are being raised? And I was like, uh, no. She's like, I don't know. They have no friends. There's no one to play with on Shabbos. I went to a school. They had other kids. You know, my son's the only one in Yamka. Sisters and my girls, no one dressed modestly for a hundred miles. Like, don't you feel terrible for them? And just said to her, you know, like, again, zoom out. Like, we believe Judaism, Hasidus teaches us every neshama ends up exactly where it's meant to be. So you're telling me that every soul in the world ended up exactly where it's meant to be, except my child. Not possible. Just not possible. Right. So now that doesn't mean, and we've shifted the conversation, it doesn't mean I don't acknowledge that there's deficits to, yeah, my my children, their last year home, I have my triplets, they're God willing going to high school next year, that last year home where you're socially ready to like be with people and you're done. Like you're just done. It's a really rough ride for them. But I can acknowledge what those deficits are. I can supp supplement when possible and necessary. But feeling guilty or bad for them is not going to help them. No. It's not. It's going to give them anxiety. It's going to make me make unjustified or unbalanced, imbalanced like parental decisions. I need to truly believe, just like I look at my own life and I say I'm exactly where I'm meant to be, I need to believe that my child's exactly where they're meant to be. Right. And it doesn't mean invalidating their emotions. It doesn't mean not a lack of compassion. It's deeply in my gut believing it and understanding it. And then it helps that child. Like, they can exhale. Okay. It's hard. Okay, you're right. Let's go to winter camp. Okay, let's fly a friend in. You're right. It's really hard. Okay, Shabbat day, instead of me taking a nap, let's sit and play a game together. You know, it's, it's meeting the needs and the deficits without defining them by those. Again, a value. Right. And, and, and also a distinction, also a distinction yes. because you, you're not defined. I mean, listen, everybody has their shortcomings and their, you know, their weakness and everything. Yeah, we're sure. not defined by them. We can actually use them the way we approach, the way that we approach those deficits and those weaknesses can actually propel us to greatness. Like that could be our greatest light. Yeah. And I don't think it's easy. No. But I guess what? I think it's the way forward in the world. Because what what we're being sold as ideals and all this self-care and self-confidence, like it's 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 actually not working. So it's not working. So we gotta find something else. And Torah gives us these true core values that have always been true that when we can plug into and live, we can give over. You know, it's interesting. I before I got on here, I asked two of my 13-year-olds because you know, 13-year-old teenage girls are going to be honest. Yes. If that's one thing we could say. We may not like it. It's not comfortable, but they will be honest. Um, and I asked them, I'm like, how would you answer this question? What are Jewish values that you give to your kids and how? And it's so cute because what, they, they weren't in the same room. So I wanted to hear like what they said. And one of them said, well, first of all, you have to give your kids boundaries with clarity. I said, what does that mean? Knowing who they are and what's their red line um, but with clarity so that they should be able to understand why that's about, that's a value as a great kid. Got it. Right. Like understanding this is who I am and these are my red lines, but why is that a value? And, and like being honest with them. And so another method is really my husband and always honest with our children. And I'll get to that shortly because again, that was back to raising the kids on campus and the other um, girl said to me, um, 
when I asked about values, the other one said, it's, she it was really cute actually. So she said to me, Ma, you know when someone's trying to teach you something, but they don't live it? There's nothing more annoying. Right. Okay, you, we all know teenagers are allergic to hypocrisy. Yes. They sense it in a second. Yes. And except in themselves, but whatever. That's, that's what they're learning, right? <laughs> um, and she says, they have to live it. So really, it doesn't matter what the value is. If you really want your kid to have it, you need to live it. And then she echoed what her sister said, and you need to explain the reasons behind things. Right. And that's something which we really like when we embarked on this journey of raising kids here on campus, we knew that it's going to shift having open and honest and real dialogue with our children about everything and anything. And one of the lines our children have probably heard a thousand times is if Sam and Jessica can walk into the Chabad house and say, what does Judaism say about blank? Our own children who are primary role and the reason we're here to bring, raise them, should be able to ask the same for sure. And so often have we said to our children, you know, I don't know the answer. Let's get to the, I, thank you. Let's get to the bottom of that. Right. So again, shifting to do that. And then I show my child that curiosity and questioning, there's nothing wrong with you. There's actually something right with you for questioning and being curious. Again, another value, because really, I think what's comfortable for us as adults is kind of this like blind faith model, but that's not Judaism. Right. You look at the structure of the Gemara, the Talmud, right? It's all questioning and debating and discussing and back and forth. And what if this case? And what if that case? So, but when our kid comes to us, we don't want to hear from it. No, no, no. They're coming, it up. They're coming by it honestly. They're Jewish. Yeah. Challenging. They're questioning. They're thinking. So I, it shifts that I'm not seeing that as a threat. I'm saying, okay, that's a really good question. Let's get to the bottom of it. And I have been known to tell my kids as they're going off to yeshiva or they're leaving home, they leave home at 13 or 14. It's really young. I've been known to tell them two thoughts. One, I'm no longer in your pocket. I'm not coming with you. Right. That means what the way we kept the house, the books, the, 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 the music, the media that we've allowed in was very intentional and was our way of safeguarding the most precious commodity, your internal, your mind, your neshama, and this. And now it's up to you. You're going to choose what to consume. Right. You're going to choose, you're going to make choices. They're all their own, yeah. But don't fool yourself. And that's one of the things I was on. Don't fool yourself that what I expose myself to and what I do and what I, it doesn't make a difference. It does. So that's number one. And number two, the second thing I always tell them is if you learn a concept that doesn't resonate and it doesn't make sense and you can't figure out how to apply it, don't be okay with it. Learn, challenge, ask. And if one person doesn't have an answer, go to the next person. Always, you can always come to us, but you should always be able to challenge, question and learn. And, and that's what Judaism does desire of us. There's a reason God concealed himself, right? Right, it's continuous seeking of knowledge. Yes, correct. That's that's the Jewish way. Yes, but somehow we got into this place where we just want our kids to kind of like follow. Blindly. That's not the Jewish. There's other religions that that's the that, that blind faith is. It's not us. Right. So we so but we get so threatened. Oh my gosh, my kid is challenging. My kid is questioning. Oh, what does it mean? And will they will they going to go with the dare? It's okay. It's okay. It's part of it. So again, we. A lot of times when we react super strongly to something, it's because we're uncomfortable. So I got to stop and say, look at myself. What is making me uncomfortable with this? Why is this threatening something within me? Right. Right. And that's work. Yeah. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Well, you know what? Parenting is deep. It's deep work. And like, we think it's just external work. It's just from us to them, but it's not. It's mainly, I want to say mainly internal work within us. You know, it's, it's. Yeah. It's a lot of reflection about our, our our own values, our own beliefs, how we feel, you know. And then you're right, like when we project, when or when we speak, when we when we communicate with somebody else, and we have those strong feelings, it's often it's often a trigger, and we have to go back inside and figure out why. Yeah, I always I'm like a little scared of the word trigger because we're oh everything's a trigger now. It's like it's like there's certain words like that just I'm like they're overused, but yeah, it is. It's triggering something within me. So if I'm reacting so strongly to this in my child. Yes. Stop. 
What's it, what's it bringing to the table? What is it? And then I, I, I think there's another layer, which really is not very different to all those values I mentioned. We're human. Yes. And we're going to make mistakes. And that goes along with the failure. And it goes along with understanding that our infinite, you know, like when a kid's like, oh, I have so many, you know, these issues. And I'm like, you have issues. It's great. You're alive. You're healthy. You're exactly where, like we are, we are meant to come into the world, have issues, work through them and shine light. Like, and it's okay to be human. So that, that's how I handle my kid messing up. That's how I handle And And I think sometimes we handle it better. And sometimes we're overtired or hormonal and we're cranky and we don't, we snap and we're rude or we're, and then we have to take responsibility. Cause again, I want to roll, roll, I want to model that to my child, right? I want to model to my child. What does that mean? Taking responsibility. What does that mean to um, own it? What does that mean to say, listen, I, one of my kids said, I had a big fight with my sibling and when they went to apologize, they apologized, but then they said, but this and this and this and this. And she's like, but I remembered what you told me is like, when you apologize, just apologize. It should never be, but. And I was like, okay, it you know, probably happened when I had to apologize. And I said a button. I was like, no, 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 there's no button. Like, if I need to apologize, it's something I take responsibility for. And the, the other factors can be discussed later. And I remember, I remember once when um, our last baby was born, I was, you know, like my kids had for many years, 12 years, not seen a pregnant mother, right? Not had dealt with postpartum, not dealt with any of those glorious things which really alter us to some degree or another both physically emotionally <laughs> hormonally behaviorally and I remember like really seeing this through a different lens and it was a good friend who said to me she's like your kids are closer to being parents on their own because we have like a few that are older and they're going to be learning from the way you and your spouse navigate this time yeah and I remember discussing with my husband like they're going to learn what that means to be a husband to a postpartum wife um, and thank God Bar Hashem is very supportive and whatever, but even for myself, whereas normally I would, let's say, jump back into things. I was like, no, I need to allow the time. And sometimes some of that's maturity yeah. <laughs> and some of that's life experiences that teach us like we, like we're also on the job learning. We're also trying, just trying. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Really. Thank you so much for joining us on America's Top Robinsons. It was truly a pleasure having you. And I personally learned so much and I know everybody watching and listening will learn also. I hope so. And thank you for having me. Um, again, these are just reflections from the field, you know, like <laughs> from the messy and the ugly and the good and the bad. And uh, just some thoughts that, you know, a lot of it are, again, based on like, just learning Hasidus and, and really zooming on and trying to apply those really, really, really big ideas to like really day-to-day grind. So thanks for having me and uh, we should continue to gather. You should continue to gather women together to learn together. Amen. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good, have a wonderful day. Thank you too.